My name is John and I have the privilege to open God's word with us this morning, this Good Friday, as we remember that we are forgiven of all of our sins. Those verses that we just heard read, they encapsulate the truth of the Christian faith. And every time I see a cross, a cross whether it is worn on a necklace or whether it is an earring or whether it is tattooed on somebody's body, I'm reminded of this passage that we had read for us by people from our church family from Romans 5. You know, friends, for nearly 2,000 years, the simplest expression of the Christian faith has been the cross. And of course, wearing a cross is a personal choice. But today, I want to remind us that the cross is also a very personal symbol. This weekend, all over the globe, the cross is being referred to. And I'm tipping that on our news broadcasts tonight, you will see many reports of churches where people come. There will be people carrying crosses. Yet most people don't realise just how personal the cross is. Many of us don't realise how personal the cross is. You know, leading up to the first Easter weekend, Jesus, who hung on the cross, had been in the public eye. Jesus had been fulfilling Old Testament prophecies that had been recorded about him, about the Messiah that had been promised. This Jesus had been performing miracles. This Jesus had been teaching like no one else had ever taught and they were all reasons to believe that this man Jesus truly was the promised saviour of the world. And in Jesus' day, all those who lived near him or or who had heard of him, they all had an opinion about this man, this rabbi, this man who taught like no other, who claimed to be the Son of God. Let me read the biblical account leading up to Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. I'm going to be reading from Luke's account of this, from Luke 23. And I'll have it on the screen. I'm going to dip into a few scriptures. Pilate called together the chief priests. Now Pilate was a... He was a Roman governor because the political power base at that time when Jesus was alive, he was a Jew, but it was the Romans and Pilate was one of their governors. And we read that Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people and he he said to them, you brought me this man, Jesus, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis 
for your charges against him. Neither has Herod. Now Herod was a co-emperor of the whole Roman Empire together with some of his brothers. So Pilate had sent Jesus to Herod to see what Herod said. Well, verse 15 says, Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will punish him and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. And then if we go to Mark's account of Jesus' life, we read, they, the soldiers, the centurions, the legal people, they put a purple robe on Jesus. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on him and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. To crucify him. You know that in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, executing people was a common way to punish and deter people from stepping out of, the, out of line. The Romans were masters at torture. And at the time that Jesus was crucified, these Romans were enlarging their empire, the great Roman Empire. And they were doing it through force. And people were scared of the Romans. And of all of the ways that executions were carried out, crucifixion was the cruelest and it was the most drawn out. Crucifixion was used when they wanted to maximise the pain. When they wanted to maximise the humiliation of the person who was being crucified. When they wanted to show their power the Romans would, would deter people by, from disobeying by, by having public crucifixions. They would load the cross on the condemned person's shoulders and they would parade them through the streets and crowds would follow. Up to now, Jesus had drawn crowds because of his teaching because of his miraculous works that he had been doing, because of the reputation he was beginning to build, because of the care that he showed people, undeserving people. Jesus always drew crowds. And now, even now, as he is led to his ultimate reason for coming from heaven, he is drawing crowds. 
And Jesus was crucified as the result of trumped up charges of treason. But there were some in the crowd who were beginning to connect the dots. There were some faithful followers of the Old Testament way of worshipping God who remembered some of the Old Testament prophecies. There was one in particular that they remembered that was spoken by Isaiah. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 we read, speaking about the promised Messiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Friends, the crucifixion is personal. And there were some who were witnessing this thinking, could it be true? Could it be true? You know what finally killed Jesus? It wasn't the pain from being nailed to the cross. It wasn't even the spear that had been jabbed into his side. What killed Jesus and what killed everyone who was crucified on a cross was the eventual suffocation that happened after they were too tired to lift their body up on the spikes that had been put through their wrists and their feet because they needed to do that to be able to exhale their breath. Did you know that when you're on a cross, when you exhale breath, you need to be, you need to be lifted up. If you've been, if you've slumped down, you can't exhale your breath. So these wretched people hanging on a cross would die of suffocation. It was agony. In fact, the pain from hanging on a cross is so horrendous, a word was invented to explain it. It is the word excruciating. It literally means from the cross. The pain that Jesus endured to pay for your sin and my sin was excruciating. And what does Jesus pray as he is hanging on that cross experiencing that excruciating pain? Look at the screen. Luke tells us. Jesus prays to his Father in heaven and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Who are the they? Forgive them. Who are the them? Who are the them that Jesus is praying for? In the passages that I read from Luke's account of Jesus' life and Mark's account of Jesus' life, we read several times this little word, they. Look here. With one voice, they cried out. Away with this man, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 24, with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he, Jesus, be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate caved in. And look in Mark 15, verse 19, again and again they struck him on the head. They struck him on his head with a staff and they spit on him. Friends, the they 
the people in the crowd, they are yous and me's. The crowd is those who see this and hear this, experience this. The cross is personal to you and to me. For me, what the cross signifies is so real. Jesus was executed on the cross to pay for my sin. In Romans 5, that passage that was read for us, we read that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus lived a sinless life only to die a sinner's death, a cruel death for you and for me. Paul puts it like this, In 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And you know scripture says that Jesus died not just for my sin but he died to pay for the sin of the world. 1 John 2.2 He, Jesus, is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. We people in the crowd, imagine we're in the crowd, we're seeing this crucifixion unfold. We people in the crowd, we're normal people. And collectively, we make up a lot of different people groups. Because we're all there. And we all face ups and downs in life. Life is hard. We cope with what happens in life in different ways. Some of our friends and our neighbours in the crowd do life very different to how we do life. But they matter to God just as much as we matter to God. To God we are all very, very important even those who think differently to us. It's amazing. Whether you are in the crowd, whether you're at the front of the crowd, the back of the crowd, the left of the crowd, the right of the crowd, we all matter to God. Regardless if we are very clever or not that clever, whether we are pretty or not that pretty, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Male, female, we matter to God and we're all in the crowd. Whether we live here in Brisbane or if we were living in Burma, irrespective of what our profession is, you could be a pastor, you could be a policeman, you could be a paediatrician, you could be a plumber. Doesn't matter. You're in the crowd. And you matter to God so much so that he sent Jesus to hang on a cross for your sins and my sins and all the rest of the sins. So when we stand in front of the cross, we're all standing on level ground, friends. We're all equally in need of God's forgiveness and grace. The cross is personal. Let me take you back to what Paul said 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 
For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now friends, let's think for a moment about the darkest thing that you have ever done. Something that you would be so ashamed of if we were able to capture that thing and put it up on that screen. It would be humiliating. You know, you may be struggling with a pet sin that you keep falling over time and time again. Maybe you've deceived someone, but perhaps you've caused someone really deep pain and you know that. Now add to that. Add to that! The guilt and the shame and the pain and the regret of every sin, of every wrong that has ever been committed by all of us who are in the crowd. Imagine experiencing the judgment and the anger of a righteous God for all of that sin. That's what Jesus experienced. It's why Jesus, when he hung on that cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Apostle Paul, he writes in Galatians 3, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. One commentator says this, and I want to read it as a quote, it's on the screen. He, Jesus, experienced supernatural suffering and guilt that you and I will never know so that you can, if you only will, experience a supernatural healing and forgiveness that you could never earn. So I want to ask you, is it becoming more clear to you, my dear friends, that the cross is personal? The cross is personal and the cross is powerful. The cross is powerful. From the ongoing story we learn that many in the crowd began to realise that this was an act of supernatural spiritual power when Jesus gave his life for our sin. Let me remind us of what we also had read to us. It was about the ninth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. You know, when, let me fix this. You know, emotions only bubble up when something is real. When Jesus gave his life, an extraordinary spiritual power was released and it was given to all in the crowd who came to faith in him. This centurion was looking at Jesus thinking, it must be true. 
God wants us to understand the kind of power that was released in the cross for each and every one of us. The cross is personal. When the temple curtain tore from top to bottom, do you remember what the temple curtain signified? You, you weren't allowed, unless you were the priest, to go behind the temple curtain because that was where, where, where they believed that the presence of God was. But when Jesus gave his life, that temple curtain, which was 60-something feet high, it tore from top to bottom. And it showed that God was now saying, sin has been atoned for, you can come into my presence. You who were sinful have been forgiven because of my son. You come to me. I want a, a relationship restored with you. That's what that torn curtain means. I forgive you for all of your sin. And those sins that we know that just make us feel so ashamed, friends, they have been dissolved because of Jesus' work on the cross. Do you ever need wisdom and insight as we traverse this broken world that sometimes throws us curved balls that make us go, why? How come? Do you ever get discouraged and need comfort? Do you ever get lonely? Do you ever need someone who you can go to that understands? Well, God says, because of Jesus, when he tore that curtain, he screams out, you come to me. You see, the cross is the power of forgiveness. The cross is the power of reconciliation. The cross is the power to restore dignity. It is the power that enables us to forgive those who have hurt us. The cross is the power to overcome evil. The cross means you don't have to be defeated by sin. You don't have to be trapped in life. That's why for 2,000 years at the centre of the Christian faith stands not a candle, not a star, but the cross, friends, the cross is personal. Paul said it too. And he says, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But we who are being saved recognise this message as the very power of God. If you're wearing a cross, or have it tattooed on your body, then it is a privilege and it is personal. The cross symbolises self-giving. It symbolises self-sacrificial love. Those of us who know what the cross signifies, we are to reflect that to those that we do life with. You know, before Jesus went to the cross, much of what he did and said to his disciples is recorded in the Bible. And in Luke 9, we read Jesus saying to his disciples, to his followers, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily and follow me. And what does this mean? It means we are a people who are committed to self-sacrificial love. It means that we do what Jesus did. It means that we will surrender our lives to God. He comes in the driver's seat. 
The cross is personal, my good friends. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of Good Friday. Jesus died for your personal sin. And not just to give you a place in heaven, but to give you a role in touching people with his love. People who are in our circles of influence. People that we do life with. People at our workplace, in our neighbourhood, particularly in our families. The cross is personal. And we, the church, we are to take that message and we are to tell it and we are to live it out there. Out there. The cross is personal. And today, Good Friday, is the day we we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for each of us personally. We are forgiven because of Jesus' sacrificial death. It's got squat diddly to do whether you think you're a good person or a better person than your neighbour. We're all guilty of sin and we're all forgiven because of Jesus. Now, we're going to be back here next Sunday, I hope, and then we're going to remember and we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus, he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. He broke the chains that keep us trapped. On Easter Sunday, you're going to see how this allows us to live life in victory. But for today, Good Friday, we remember that we are forgiven. Friends, the cross is personal. So I want to ask you this question. Do you own this truth personally? Do you own this truth personally? You can. You can. It is given to all who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. And we have a unique opportunity this Good Friday to be able to get out of our seats in a symbolic way of saying thank you Jesus for making the cross personal for me. Because at the front here you'll see this tablecloth over a table that's prepared with elements for the Lord's Supper. You know, just before Jesus went to the cross, he shared the Passover meal, which turned into the Last Supper. And he said to his disciples, not all of you understand what I will be doing soon. But when it's happened, you will understand. And he was talking about Good Friday. He's talking about Easter Sunday. And then he said to the disciples, he said, I want you to remember regularly my sacrifice through this supper, through the Lord's Supper. And the Christian church from that time on has always celebrated the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And it's our way of acknowledging what Jesus has done for us personally. So in a moment I'm going to invite you to come down take the elements and then go back to your seats and we're going to eat and drink together. And did you know that Jesus told us to remember his death and resurrection? Jesus didn't tell us to remember his birth at Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is this day, this weekend, this feast, this celebration that he told us to remember. 
and to go and share with all of those that we do life with. So until I get down there and I ask, please, if my attendants can come and prepare this table, I want you to just pray quietly and give thanks to God for allowing the cross to be personal and that you have an opportunity to come to take the elements and say thank you.